Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby for the concession stand with your host, J.W. Caldwell. Yes, welcome to the concession stand podcast. My name is J.W. Caldwell. I'm your host, uh, the Florida Movie Guy. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the Florida Movie Guy page. Uh, also on Twitter at JWPA Movie Guy, because we all have places where we come from in life. Um, okay, so big show today, and you know I want to get through a, a few things because uh, we've had a you know a couple of tumultuous weeks. Plus, I, I've been off for a little bit, and uh, I want to make sure we get a lot of stuff in today. Um, it's a big weekend, the weekend of the movies, and we're coming off the one of the highest grossing September weekends ever. Uh, this past weekend with Sully, uh, grossed almost $35 million, and that is the power of a serious movie in the fall. Uh, usually the first weekend after Labor Day is a complete bust for studios, and usually it takes three or four weeks to get studio movies back up and running and, and hit into October, where we'll get some genre pic- pictures and maybe one or two major releases uh, that, that's kind of started with the uh, Gone Girl release schedule that happened in October. So, but this year we kind of jumped on it a little bit because we had Sully come out. Uh, you know, of course, Tom Hanks and Clint Eastwood uh, starring in that. It grossed $35 million, which is huge. It was shot on IMAX cameras, so a lot of the bulk of the gross comes from IMAX, which, uh, you know, is a boon for that particular brand. Um, uh, when the bat breaks also opened, it kind of opened down, and they were expecting in you know, 20 to mid-20 range. Only opened at about 14.5. Don't Breathe continued its magical magical run into the fall. It grossed 8.25 million. It's it's already grossed 68.5 million, which is making making it one of the bigger hits of the summer, and compared to Gross. So Don't Breathe is a great 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 little horror film that you really should go out and see. Uh, It deserves to be seen in a theater with a lot of people too because it's it's one of those movies that just you know, it ratchets it up, and you think it's one thing, and then it, near the end it becomes something totally different, and uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I uh, should definitely check it out. And then uh, number four was Suicide Squad, which had a huge run, finally crossed the $300 million threshold in the last couple weeks. It grossed $5.7 million. It is one of the main cogs in the August box office jump that saw a bunch of movies, including Don't Breathe, and Suicide Squad, and a couple other things, uh, do very well in August, and basically, not save the summer, but salvage the summer a little bit. And one of the things we're going to discuss today is summer 2016, the summer where it all ended. Um, But it's an interesting summer, I mean, because we had a lot of sequels that came out the summer, 14 in total. Um, And we haven't had that kind of... uh, saturation of sequels for 13 years. So, a lot of people were disappointed in the product this summer, but a lot of movies gross very well. And the funny thing there is that as much as you complain about the sequels, two of the three top movies of the year are sequels. Finding Dory, which is a sequel to Pixar's Finding Nemo, um, 
you know, basically a major sequel. It's happening 20 years after the fact. You have Captain America Civil War, which is a sequel to Captain America Winter Soldier, which is a sequel to Avengers, which, you know, so you got sequels there. Um, and some of the bigger hits of the year, uh, relative to gross or whatever, The Purge Election Year, Jason Bourne, these are all movies that are sequels in some way, and basically, you know, comes up with most of the movies. Half of the seven films that grossed over $100 million this year, 2016, were sequels. So, <laughs> you had 14 movies gross it, seven of them, seven of them were sequels, uh, over $100 million. Um, and that's just one of those things where people complain and go, well, you know, why, why is it, why is it not working or what happened, what happened to the summer? And here's where it gets interesting because the summer, we had a summer of sequels and where it comes up is that maybe some of the sequels were not warranted or people didn't really want. X-Men Apocalypse kind of underperformed, um, Independence Day Resurgence definitely underperformed. Uh, mainly because of the quality of the film. Uh, easily one of the worst major studio sequels in the last 25 years. Uh, I, you know, ID4 Resurgence was awful. Completely terrible. Deserved to bomb the way it did. Although it, it still grossed, it still crossed over the $100 million mark. Um, another big bomb that, that you know everybody could see coming, but nobody really wanted to admit was going to be a bomb, was Alice Through the Looking Glass. Didn't do well. Nobody cared about it. Um, you know, when the trailers came up, everybody was like, why are we getting a sequel to Alice in Wonderland when the first one, although well-received, uh, box office-wise, was not critically well-received? Um, and why are we more focused on the Johnny Depp Mad Hatter character that nobody seemed to care about except to inspire costumes from the first one? So that happened. Um, so was it the summer of sequels that nobody wanted, or was it the summer of of terrible movies, or and that's where where it comes down to. And for me, it's never about what you know uh, that we're not going to get sequels, or we're not going to get reboots, or we're not going to get you know we had, we had a few reboots this summer. Ghostbusters being chief among them, you know, it didn't it didn't knock the world out, um, and it cost a lot of money to make, and we may not get a sequel to it, but it still grossed over a hundred million dollars. Um, so was it? <laughs> Was it the fact that we had terrible movies, or was it the fact that that the movies just didn't connect? I mean, the top three movies did connect, and they connected in a big way. Finding Dory, 482.9 domestic gross. Captain America, 408 domestic gross. Secret Life of Pets, the under the undersung hero of the year, 359.8. Studio Squad, 300.1, and still growing every day. Jason Bourne, 156.2. You know, um, uh, X-Men Apocalypse, 155.4. Star Trek Beyond, 155. And that's well, that's one of the sad ones for me. Uh, the, the one sequel that I would have liked to see people connect to um, that didn't was Star Trek Beyond. Uh, Central Intelligence gross, 127.4. So you have a, that's the new building of a dream team, the new Kevin Hart. Uh, Dwayne Johnson Dream Team is is actually in reality going to happen more now because we're probably going to they're in Jumanji together and they're probably going to make a couple other movies and seeing if people like their chemistry. And apparently they did because they went. That's one of the only original movies on the list. Uh, Ghostbusters gross one twenty six point five. Legend of Tarzan one twenty six point four. Angry Birds one hundred seven point five. Bad Moms at one hundred three point six. Another one of the only um, original movies. 
ID4 Resurgence, 103, and if you'd said to me ID4 Resurgence was only going to gross $103 million, I would have laughed at you in the beginning of the summer. Conjuring 2, another very successful sequel with 102.5. Um, so the question becomes, was it just bad movies or sequels that nobody wanted to see? A lot of the movies that did well had were sequels. Um, again, only two in the original list that I just gave you. So... You know, and the other thing they're going to bring up is whether or not, you know, the the domestic gross is going to be rival that of foreign grosses. And a lot of the studios right now are making money on the foreign grosses. So they could care less about what it's making domestically, more about the worldwide global gross is where it's at. So um, one thing you can do, and there are some specific movies that came out this summer where you know, you had original concepts. Central Intelligence was original. Bad Moms was original. Lights Out was original. Uh, don't Breathe was original. Like, movies that don't have sequels. Um, movies that aren't sequels. And uh, Hell or High Water is doing very well in limited release, and it's moving around. Sing Street did very well um, as an original movie that kind of just kind of plateaued and did, did different things where it would branch out to other places this summer. So... It's like I had a talk with the guys who do Beats and Eats, uh, Nick Gelso and Ty Ray, and we talked about, you know, bad summers or what happens. It's the product. It's never, you know, if the, if the product is there, people will go to the movies. And this summer was just one of those summers where there were, you know, really, uh, you know, specific movies that people wanted to see, and then a lot of product where people kind of just turned off and walked away from it and didn't want to see that particular product. So, you know, uh, box office receipts are still over $4 billion for the summer. Uh, so, you know, still over $4 billion for the year, I should say. And so you're going to have you're going to have that, you know, whatever. I'll tell you what did very well this summer, though. Horror movies. Uh, there was never a moment where a horror movie, you know, low-costing, low-cost, high-reward products... Lights Out did very well. The Conjuring 2 did very well. Uh, Don't Breathe did very well. The Purge uh, election year did very well. So you're, I think you're going to see more of an uptick in maybe original horror films, original studio-branded horror films, because they call, they're cheap to make and because they can build a franchise. And the studios, even in a year like this where we've had a bunch of sequels and a bunch of reboots and things that didn't connect, the studios are always looking for the safe bet. They're always looking for... They're always looking for... Something where you go, I know that that's going to hit. Um, <laughs> and we had 48 wide releases this summer, and some of them didn't. Uh, it was a bad summer for movies. Although, there again, there were movies there that, that tickled every, a lot of people's fancy. And, um, you know, Chief Among Them, Civil War, and, and, you know, Suicide Squad to some degree. Although not as enamored with Suicide Squad. Um, Hello, High Water, and, you know, that's going to be one of those movies that maybe makes it to the fall, and we'll have to see what happens, but this summer, you know, an even box office of $4.48 billion, um, so it's, it, nothing rises, nothing goes down, and basically it's, they're still making a ton of money at the box office, but they're going to be a little bit more controlled, and actually this summer is one of those summers where they, it might actually force them to pick sequels and products and reboots that are specifically, definitely going to make it. Um, it's kind of a weird place. I, I don't know how they're going to react to how bad the summer box office has gone. 
Um, another major story that has to be talked about, uh, the passing of Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder was an amazing actor. Um, he was an amazingly brilliant comedic performer. And, you know, I was thinking about, like, he has so many movies where you just sit back, and I try to come up with the top five, my five favorite Gene Wilder movies. And I, I came up with, and they're more for the roles. They're more for the roles he plays, and they're more for the people that are in them and, and the things... You know, three of the movies on the Gene Wilder list are, are Mel Brooks movies. So Mel Brooks found a muse in him, found something in him that he loved to work with. Um, and I mean, so I'm going to give you my five, and then we're going to talk about them a little bit. Um, the Frisco Kid. I, I don't know if anybody has brought up as much as me this particular Gene Wilder movie. It is a Western. Uh, it, he stars with Harrison Ford. Uh, it was made in 1979. I were I lived in a uh, a Jewish community in Monticello, New York, and basically this was a movie that was very popular because in it um, he plays a rabbi that's coming from Poland uh, to the United States, and he's going to travel across west uh, to take uh, a congregation over for a synagogue in San Francisco, and basically he comes and he uh, he gets wrapped up with a bank robber played by Harrison Ford. And uh, basically, it's all about Harrison Ford getting him and their, their friendship, their their weird friendship, um, and getting him across the country to the congregation he's taking over for a synagogue in San Francisco. And uh, it is a brilliantly fish, wonderful fish out of water comedy that has lots of Western action and basically does a lot of good things with it. And I, it's it's one of my favorite movies from growing up as a kid. Harrison Ford's great in it, uh, and their chemistry is amazing in it. Um, uh, number four on the Gene Wilder list for me is the producers. Uh, one of his two Oscar nominations in life, uh, he, he was nominated um, playing Leo Bloom opposite Zero Mustel's Max Bialystok uh, in the non-musical version of the producers. Uh, which uh, is a genius-level comedy from Mel Brooks from, from the late 60s, early 70s. And basically, it's about two guys that, that decide they're going to take money from plays uh, that are never going to open and basically bilk the, 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 the people who are funding the plays. So they pick the worst play in the history of the world, the worst musical in the, of all time, to steal the funds and proceeds from uh, called Springtime for Hitler, and it's just, the movie is astounding, and his manic energy, um, as Leo Bloom, as the, the mild-mannered accountant who basically works with the whirling dervish that is Zero Mustel's Max Bialystok, and it, it is just, it's funny, it's, he is amazing, he has, uh, you know, <laughs> incredible scenes of manic you know, one where he's crying and then he's laughing and then crying and laughing, and you know, Mel Brooks found a a a muse in him. Uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for that movie, and it would it would later you know be one of the the stand amount uh, relationships him and, and Mel Brooks. The third movie on my list is Blazing Saddles, and if you haven't seen him as the way as the Waco Kid uh, with Cleavon Little and Blazing Saddles, the Mel Brooks Western spoof. Um, you're missing out on one of the truly great comedic performances of all time. Uh, 
you know, everybody's in it too. So it's so many people in Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks and Harvey Corman and, you know, so much, so much funny in that movie that you deserve, you know, to go out and watch it immediately. Um, and it's politically incorrect and it's, and it's got Alex Karras punching a horse and it's got so many great things. And he plays the aging gunfire, the, uh, the gunfighter, the drunk gunfighter that, uh, you know, so atypical, so typical to, uh, Westerns, you know, uh, as evidenced by Dean Martin and Rio Bravo. And, uh, you know, so just go out, see Blazing Saddles and tell me you don't, you can't be in love with Gene Wilder. Number two uh, is Young Frankenstein. He plays Frederick Frankenstein, the the son of Doctor Victor Frankenstein, or Frankenstein, or whatever whatever way you want to say it. Um, you know, uh, Mel Brooks's amazing spoof of the Universal horror films. You know, so many people in the cast: Madeline Kahn, Peter Boyle, Marty Feldman, Terry Gar, Cloris Leachman, Frau Blucher. <laughs> Uh, Frau Blucher, uh, of course, um, and the the send up of like the great Universal horror films, specifically uh, James Whale's The Bride of Frankenstein, and he's so good in the movie. Uh, him and, and the chemistry with with Marty Feldman as Igor or Igor or but he goes by Igor, which is you know long a, long eye, um, is so off the charts. Uh, just really, really well done, and, and him and Peter Boyle, uh, their rendition of Putting on the Ritz is cinematic gold, uh, and the the gold center by, you know, spoof comedies. Um, and number one on my list is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and a movie, I think it's a movie that holds a special place for a lot of people from my generation uh, in their heart. Uh, you know, his Willy Wonka is is one of those characters that teaches you to be a better person when you're a kid. It's one of those movies you watch and you go, you know, who doesn't want to be Charlie Bucket um, and who doesn't want to be the kid that, that Willy Wonka believes in and who doesn't want to be the kid, you know. And the great thing about Willy Wonka and the Chonka Factory is when you watch it as a kid, it's got mesmerizing things and it teaches you so many things about, you know, basically the, the moral lessons that that are inherent to the story by not being a glutton and not being too wrapped up in television and not being mean-spirited and bullish and, and not being, you know, all the things that it teaches you as a kid is great. And then when you get into adulthood and you watch it as an adult, the performance by, by Gene Wilder is so wonderfully subversive where he's he's a danger to the children, but he's also teaching them the right way to be, and, you know, I think a lot of how I react in life to kids and how I react to adults, and, and for me, is very Willy Wonka-ish. I, I'm, you know, I, I ask, you know, make jokes, and I talk questions. I love the Willy Wonka character. I, I you know, you know, uh, <laughs> candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker, is one of his lines, and as a kid, it goes right over your head, but as an adult... Candy is dandy, but liquor is quicker. <laughs> it's just so wonderfully subversive that I don't know that we would get it in this day and age. And also, I think one of the interesting things about it is it's one of the few movies, it's one of the specific movies where the reboot of it that was done with Johnny Depp is so 
pales so in comparison, even though they've come so much farther with regards to effects and with regards to doing anything and Johnny Depp playing the role and all the things they built onto it and Tim Burton's version of the Chocolate Factory. Um, it so blows away that version. The, it so blows away the reboot that it deserves its classic status. And Gene Wilder, you know, deserved a lot, a lot more. Now he had he had tons of other movies. He he acted specifically with uh, wife Gilda Radner and with Richard Pryor, who he forged a wonderful on-screen relationship with Stir Crazy and uh, a ton of other movies. Stir Crazy and Silver Streak. Specifically, another you and um, uh, you know other movies after the fact, but it's one of those things. It was one of those partnerships that was great, and he also had a partnership with Gilda Radner, who um, who you know who left us way too soon because of cancer, and he had you know several movies with her, including Haunted Honeymoon and Hanky Panky, um, that weren't necessarily big huge hits, but they were movies where he you know he was with the people he loved um and and the same goes with um richard pryor so i mean there you owe it to yourself to check out the richard pryor movies he had a wonderful chemistry with him you owe it to yourself to check out the gather radden movies although they're not quite as great as they could be um and i i just think you know gene wilder uh, was going to be sorely messed he had two oscar nominations one for uh, of course writing young frankenstein with mel brooks and the other for Best Supporting Actor for the Producer. So only two Oscar nominations in a long career. Check out those movies. Willy Wonka, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, Producers. Frisco Kid, especially, is hard to find, and it's a genius movie. Um, Gene Wilder will be sorely missed, and, you know, I I'm I can't imagine a world where he's not in it, uh, which is an odd, you know, as we're losing. 2016 has been a really bad year for losing a lot of people, um, and losing Gene Wilder is just... Uh, icing on a really crappy cake. So, um, moving on uh, a little bit, uh, we're going to delve into some cinebits, some interesting stories that are buzzing around about Hollywood. Um, I, I love casting stories, so cinebits is my way of talking about things before they happen. One of the big new, uh, big uh, rumors coming out of Hollywood this week is that Benicio del Toro is going to take, um, after his role in the new Star Wars, is going to jump into uh, Shane Black's The Predator reboot, which is, you know, it's a reboot of the Predator franchise called The Predator. Uh, Shane Black, of course, coming off of Nice Guys, coming off of Iron Man 3, um, you know, one of the great writers uh, wrote the original Lethal Weapon. He's rebooting the Predator franchise, and we can only hope it's as good as the original Predator, which is probably one of the top five action films ever made. Um, but Del Toro is an interesting choice for uh, the lead in it, especially after his role in Sicario. And, um, you know, he's kind of got that, that edge that that you're going to need to have somebody go toe-to-toe with a seven-foot-tall alien that hunts men for sport. So that's an interesting one. Another interesting thing is uh, 20th Century Fox who owns the rights to Fantastic Four and X-Men, um, and, you know, to the continued chagrin of Marvel fans everywhere, um, is moving ahead with a Stan Lee biopic that is basically going to turn Stan Lee into his own kind of superhero slash super spy. Um, they're saying it's in the vein of the Kingsman, um, kind of like inserting a Stan Lee as a superhero into his own life 
so it's a biopic, but kind of like um, an alternate uh, universe biopic um, for Stanley. No, no note on the casting there, but of course we would hope that Stanley would would get his inevitable cameo in his own biopic because that has to happen, doesn't it? I mean, it, in reality, it has to happen. Um, Jason Clark, um, uh, fresh off the rise of Planet of the Apes, uh, basically is joining Helen Mirren in the Spirit Brothers. Winchester House movie. Now, the, the movie doesn't have a title yet, uh, but it is about the famed Winchester House, which is one of the classic haunted houses uh, in the world. Um, and the house has got a, a really sordid, interesting history. Basically, Helen Mirren will play the matric of the, of the Winchester rifle family. Yeah, that family, you know, the Winchester rifle family. Uh, basically, um, she was the matric of the fortune, and as people around her died in her life, um, she would keep on building to the house and like the house became this giant sprawling house with secret doors and hidden, hidden sections and all kinds of, all kinds of bump in the night stuff. And she felt that the family itself was cursed because of all the death that was, was waged on the universe from the family creating the Winchester rifle. So, um, that movie's in production now and it looks really interesting. And then the the buzzworthy Oscar, whenever it happens, news of the week, of course, is that Paul Thomas Anderson of There Will Be Blood and Magnolia and uh, so many good movies uh, is working again with Daniel Day-Lewis. And that is just, we don't care what the movie is. Uh, frankly, it could be Daniel Day-Lewis reading the phone book as directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, and it wouldn't matter. Uh, but basically they're working on a movie right now where they're going to jump into production and they're going to go from there and we're going to go and see what happens. Um, but, you know, the quality will be off the charts because uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is amazing and Paul Thomas Anderson's amazing. And if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't seen There Will Be Blood, There Will Be Blood deserves to be, needs to be watched. It is one of the great uh, cinematic movies of all time. And Daniel Day-Lewis... Uh, creates one of the most iconic villain-slash-protagonist-slash-scene-chewers uh, uh, in the history of film. And so it's one of those things where you, you go where you go and just uh, marvel at the, the, the filmmaking going on and whatever, and we're just waiting for the next one. Um, now, uh, as, as folks know who listen to the show, and I hope you do regularly... Uh, we look at what's coming out this week and what's, what's not only what's coming out this week in theaters, but also what's worthy for you to go and find that kind of tie to it. Um, so opening this week, uh, we got three big, big releases. And the last one we're going to do a deep dive into. Um, the first release, we have a Snowden, which is, of course, about Edward Snowden, uh, directed by Oliver Stone, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Of course, the uh, person that's, you know, person non grata for the, for the White House in Washington, basically the whistleblower, basically that let us know that, that the NSA and the security forces in our country are listening to any and all conversations, are listening to everything, and basically was the biggest whistleblower in the history of, of the spy game. Uh, and basically, you know, uh, Oliver Stone is, uh, what has happened to him? Uh, you know, we don't know where he's come up with. Um, the Netflix pick to go along with Snowden this week 
is a great HBO movie called Casino Jack, um, which is about politics and about how the sausage in, in Washington, D.C. is made, uh, which stars Kevin Spacey as Jack Abramoff, who is a very famous lobbyist that, of course, got caught uh, doing all the wrong things. Uh, so Casino Jack is the Netflix pick of the week. Other movies that you need to actually go out of your way to try to find. Um, Nixon, of course. JFK, if you're talking about Oliver Stone, is also high on the list. And Natural Born Killers deserves a, a revisit every once in a while. Just to, to realize that the movie was way ahead of its time. It knew exactly what it was doing well before we got where we are today in our reality-drenched uh, society. So... Uh, Natural Born Killers, uh, JFK, and Nixon are great Oliver Stone movies to search out and getting ready for getting ready for the Snowden trip. Um, the Netflix pick is Casino Jack, starring Kevin Spacey as Jack Abramoff. Kind of another um, twisty Washington D.C. movie. Um, another movie coming out this week, and again, it's one of those sequels that you don't know. Is it too late? Uh, Bridget Jones's Baby. Renee Zellweger, Colin Firth, Patrick Dempsey returning to the Bridget Jones universe, um, the, the Bridget Jones cinematic universe, really, uh, because, of course, we have the two Bridget Jones movies, um, you know, 12 years after the fact for uh, since Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason. Uh, don't know what's going to happen. Uh, you know, the... Uh, of course, if you're gonna if you're in a Bridget Jones mood, you should probably watch the original Bridget Jones and the Bridget Jones's Edge of Reason, and then you get the Bridget Jones Baby, uh, Bridget Jones Diary, Bridget Jones Edge of Reason, Bridget Jones Baby, all together. Uh, you know, a lot of Renee Zellweger and some Renee Zellweger before she changed her face, and then you know a lot of good times. Um, but twelve years after the fact, I don't. I, I feel like we may have missed the boat. Uh, although they've added Patrick Dempsey and. Whatever the Netflix pick here, they're not on Netflix, and you're gonna have to find them somewhere else. But the Netflix pick, I, I think you go if you really want to get into Bridget Jones's baby, and if you want a better movie than Bridget Jones' Diary about love, you go Love Actually, which is on Netflix right now and something you can find, you can watch. It's one of the great Christmas movies ever made, and we're headed towards that season as well. But uh, check out uh, Love Actually. Hugh Grant, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman, Colin Firth, uh, Kira Knightley. Uh, the list goes on and on, and it's one of the great um, comedic, romantic. Uh, it's got a Christmas tinge to it, but it also has it has so much going on, and it's the Netflix pick. And our last movie, uh, you know, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive on the last movie. Uh, the last movie is The Blair Witch, which is a sequel to 1999's The Blair Witch Project, which starts Heather Donahue. The Blair Witch Project in the summer of 99 was an amazing, an amazing kind of, uh, you know, experience. And uh, the first real viral marketing of a film uh, in, in 1999, basically, it, it destroyed things at the box office. Um, the movie cost 22000 anywhere from 22000 to sixty, are the estimates on what the cost of the movie was. Uh, it went on to gross a worldwide gross of 240.5, which was a record uh, at the time. Um, 
you know, and it's it's a miracle of filmmaking. It sent off a wave of uh, movies that were found footage films that eventually has been you know basically plotted and and driven into the grave uh, with with the series of you know found footage movies that are just so awful. Um, but basically, it was the first of its kind. It, it was the first real mar- viral marketing. Um, before the movie came out, a website popped up looking, searching for the filmmakers, um, bringing real experts on about people getting lost. Uh, and on the website, also the discovery on the website that they had found footage, uh, you know, um, and it created this whole kind of viral marketing that the the story that was being told on screen, that the story that people were going to see in 1999 was real. It was directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. And basically, um, the movie released, became a sensation, became whatever, uh, and and was, you know, what the, the actual myth and actual everything about the movie, the myth building and the world building and the fact that filmmakers were lost, wasn't actually debunked until an um, like a month after the movie came out. A month after it did very well. The actors... Um, who starred in the movie were kept out of the, the public eye um, and basically, you know, uh, were told to, to keep low and and wait for the movie to hit. And then, you know, they had... So it is the first true viral marketing movie. It did incredibly well, it, well above any expectations for it. And it created its own uh, horror movie, f- like, franchise, or not franchise, genre, of the found footage movie. So it is, it is an, at the time people were, the, there was, it was a, a huge sensation, but it was also kind of a disappointment because it's not a typical horror film and it doesn't really have a beginning, a middle or an end. Uh, it's basically, you know, kids uh, roaming around the woods looking for a myth, looking, you know, for story and getting scared. And that was another thing about it. It had a cinema verite quality to it. Um, basically the, the moments are real. The tense, the tense moments in the movie where they're getting lost was real. They, you know, it took eight days to shoot. The actors involved thought the legend was real. Um, it took eight days to shoot, eight months to edit. So they took all the footage that they had, and they were able to craft an hour and 25-minute movie of people stumbling around in the woods, and, and they created a viral marketing sensation that we have never seen the likes of since. And... Um, there was a sequel, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, which was a traditional horror film, and it was not well-received, and it wasn't very good. And it was all designed to cash in on the marketing of the original, um, and it, but it never captured the lightning in the bottle. Now, the movie coming out this week, directed by Adam Wingard, um, and basically, it has the same kind of feel and quality to it that we're looking for with regards to what we're trying to get out of the original Blair Witch. Uh, Adam Wingard is a great young filmmaker. He's made several uh, good horror films. Uh, chief among them, You're Next, which is a wonderfully twisted uh, family uh, survival horror film. Uh, and also the 2012 uh, amazing uh, anthology movie called VHS, which you should definitely take a look at if you like horror films. Um, and Adam Wingard basically uh, had everybody involved um, and basically 
they had a movie in the can called The Woods, and nobody knew that it was a Blair Witch movie. Even the folks filming it for a good portion of the of the shoot did not know it was a Blair Witch sequel until one day the director dropped it on him. Um, and basically at Comic-Con this past year, they announced that it wasn't a movie called The Woods, that it was a movie called The Blair Witch. And basically they had shot it in secret, and they, they you know, edited it in secret, and and basically came up with a sequel to one of the one of the touchstone or cornerstone horror films in the last 20 years and nobody knew about it and so now we're here the weekend it opens and it's got you know it got tough competition in Sully but it it, it asks important questions and basically follows uh, you know more filmmakers going into the woods looking for the original 3 that disappeared from the found footage of the original um, so basically, it's probably been there, done that kind of thing, and it's that's what sequels are supposed to be in in, in most respects. But I, I kind of wish it luck, um, and um, I'm going to see it later in the weekend. Uh, so Blair Witch is the last movie that's opening this weekend. Adam Wingard's the director. Check out Your Next and VHS. They are astounding pieces of horror cinema. They're actually really well done, um, and. That is going to bring an end to our show this weekend. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the Concession Sam podcast. Uh, check out um, check out the new, this week's uh, Beats and Eats, uh, or the the episode that I'm actually the guest host with Nick Gelso. Uh, we talked about Star Trek at fifty. We did the the Star Trek Cinematic Universe. So um, you can find me uh, on Facebook at the Florida Movie Guy. You can find me on Twitter at JWPA Movie Guy on Twitter. Um, and thank you for listening to the concession stand and make sure you get some popcorn and candy and sit back and catch a flick. Have a great weekend and we'll see you the next time we drop another show and we're going to talk, I think we're going to talk Westerns. So tune in and we're going to go from there. Have a great day. Peace out.